Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's mentally yours. From Ellen and Yvette, a focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours, mentally yours, mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's podcast on mental health issues. For the next half an hour or so, you've got Yvette and I sat around the table in bills. Please check out some of our previous episodes on mental health. Ellen and I have got some spectacular guests. I think there is still a bit of a hangover of that idea that, like, women care more about their looks. Mm -hmm. I don't personally think that that is true, but I think some people think that. Coming up, we've got Imogen Groom. Imi has found herself in feud state. Now, I'm not going to try and describe what this is. I'll let her do that in a moment. For the time being, let it be known that feud state is a rare and horrible mental health issue. I know very little about Fuchs Day, so I'm quite looking forward to learning more. For the next bit, we're going to be talking all about what Fuchs Day's like, how it affects things and relationships and all that fun stuff. Yeah, it is quite a rare um, condition and I had never heard of it until the psychiatrist that I was referred to told me what it was and I thought, you know, what's this? Um, you know, it is incredibly rare. I think it's something like 1% of the population have it. Um, it's more sort of commonly known as reversible amnesia and that's kind of an easier way to kind of get a grasp of what it might be about. Um, so essentially it's when someone's encountering uh, real situation of stress or you know their life's going wrong in like some major way they'll deal with that by dissociating from themselves and it can manifest in a range of ways you can sort of switch off and just sort of wander around completely vacantly or you can actually sort of make up another reality for yourself and become another person um, and I've done both of those things um, I did it 11 times over five years 
Um, so yeah, it's, it can be quite intense and it can also be quite dangerous as well because you, you completely lose track of time. Um, you just sort of come to and just, you know, for me at least it was I would wonder where I was and uh, everyone would be worried about me and it was a, a real case of, you know, I've got to go and see somebody and get this sorted for my own safety more than anything. So, that yeah. sounds really scary mm. to kind of yeah. be sort of separated from yourself. Um, how old were you when it first happened and what happened? Yeah, so it does stick really strongly in my mind because it was so different from what I, you know, anything I'd ever experienced. Um, so I was in middle school. I can't remember the exact age, uh, maybe twelve, something like that. And there was a maths teacher that I was terrified of, and she was notorious for being really, really scary. Um, you know, really like laying into you if you'd not done your homework, kind of thing. Um, and, um, you know, obviously in schools you have this rule where you can't have your mobile phone in, in class. And um, I had one and it was just in my bag and I was like, well, if it's just switched off, it's fine. And that wasn't good enough for her. So the trigger for my first episode of Fugue State was uh, she's noticed the phone in my bag and really kind of got right up in my face and told me off in front of the whole classroom, which was looking back completely unnecessary, you know, um, and she told me to go and take it to the office and, you know, I had to, you know, everyone was staring and I just felt completely mortified and like I was being treated like I was deliberately breaking rules. And um, I, re I realised in that moment when I had handed my phone in that I didn't want to go back to the classroom and I, I just couldn't cope. And there's this kind of moment where you just feel this cold kind of fear and you just think, no, um, I'm, I'm not going to do my life. Um, and that's when things kind of get more hazy and you don't remember details. Um, what I do remember, um, now that I've had time to think about it, is that I did just walk out of the school. Um, the school was in a little village, so thankfully that it wasn't too dangerous, but um, I just wandered um, through the village and I went and sat in a field and it was in a really secluded field um, concealed by this massive hedge so nobody would ever find me unless they really really looked for me um, and I stayed there for about six hours and the first solid memory I had in that moment like at the time was when I realized I was sat in a field I just kind of slowly drifted back in almost like kind of waking up from having a dream mm. and I was sat there and thinking what am I doing what's going on you're completely disoriented and you know I think maybe what brought me back was the sound of cars coming past and there was a siren and it was a police siren and it was people looking for me I now you know I then learned um so I just kind of got to my feet and wandered back through the village and a police car pulled up next to me and was like you're the person we've been looking for and I realised now that they were relieved you know because when a kid goes missing it could be any manner of horrific thing but thankfully they just found me um, that simply um, so you know I got in the car and, and you know had a lift home and that in itself was kind of scary you know because you, you know as a kid you're in a police car you, th you think you're a criminal you know um, and I remember my parents were just at a loss uh, to know how to deal with it because it was just so out of character for me. I was always like, you know, a really good student at school and just kind of coped with things. And then when I disappeared, they thought, what, what have we done wrong? You know, we're a dysfunctional family. You know, how, how can you not talk to us? Um, and they kind of sort of reacted sort of between that and also kind of, it was almost disbelieving. You know, mm -hmm. they didn't quite think it was true. They thought, well, how can you just lose track of time? How do you do that? You know, you, you must have known what you were doing. You must have wanted to, you know, get attention for yourself, you know. Um, 
And that was something that I did struggle with um, throughout all the times of getting diagnosed and that struggle and trying to get help. It was always, well, are you sure? And it was like, well, yeah, what else can it be? I'm definitely not making this up. I didn't know what it was. It sounds like it was a very stressful situation that sort of triggered it. Is that what happens every time? Yes and no. Most times it was a specific situation, but one of the instances it wasn't specific. It was kind of a general feeling of extreme stress. I was going through a lot of sexual trauma at the time. Um, I'd get bullied at school, get abused and then go home. Um, and, you know, there'd be you know lots of chaos in the house because my brothers were special needs and I just felt like I couldn't get a break from anything. There'd always be something going on. Um, so... I just kind of didn't want to do my life. I had no respite. I had no one I could talk to. I had no friends, nothing. At that point, um, I just got on a bus. And that's the last thing I remember. I just got on a bus. Um, and it was... I know it was to Stratford because that was where I used to go quite often. I used to like Stratford. And I just thought, yeah, I'm not going to do my life. I'm just going to go to Stratford and start again. And, you know, in reality, you know, you can't do it. I was maybe 15 at the time. Obviously, you can't go and start a life in Stratford. But I just thought anything's got to be better than this you know I'd rather be on the street and then that's when I didn't realize what I was doing and the sort of murky memories I've got now are that I was wandering through really dark streets in Stratford and you know even though Stratford-on-Avon is a very you know it's a tourist it's not exactly a dangerous uh, town obviously you know there were drunk people out there anything could have happened and what brought me back to reality in that point was I was in the back of a taxi and the taxi driver had picked me up and he said, I'm sorry that I did that, but I'm a father myself and I wouldn't like to think uh, of my daughter wandering around alone at night. So I'm going to take the station and maybe the police can help you. Uh, and that's when he said, Dad, I realised that my dad would be worrying about me and wondering where I was. And I realised like how much danger I was in. And even though my life was really stressful, um, I realised that I, I, I really couldn't keep doing it. I mean, it's difficult because it's not like I was deliberately doing it, but I really wanted to get out of that pattern. Mm. Um, so I got dropped off at the station and my dad came and picked me up. And I just remember in that moment, we just sat in the station and held each other and we just cried because we didn't know what else to do. I didn't know who I was. I kept slipping in and out of that identity. I would sometimes just look in the mirror in the bathroom and just think, who am I? What is really inside me? Do I really... Am I really living? What is reality? You know, um, and because a lot of conditions are interlinked, as I got older, I would have hallucinations and things like that um, that would just send me out of reality. But when I was younger, uh, it was it was fugue, um, and yeah, it happened eleven times, and uh, yeah, it took a long time to kind of learn how to control it and, and not slip into. <laughs> nothingness really in terms of the actual kind of when you're in fugue state just because i i'm honestly i don't know much about it at all is it kind of like a blackout like you can't you're not conscious at all of what's happening um yeah i mean at the time it was so scary because i had no memory of what yeah. happened in that time frame but as i got older um those memories that i blocked out some of them would come back and i realized that i was always uh sort of conscious enough to be aware of my surroundings and if somebody talks to me I would remember I'd always say something that would just push them away from me so I didn't have to deal with them too mm -hmm. much um, during the period where I got on that bus I had actually created another 
reality for myself. And the most chilling part of that was when I got home with my dad. Uh, I realised that I'd written loads of notes on the back of the bus ticket and I'd given myself a new name. I'd given myself where I was going. I was going to visit my uncle and that was completely strange to me because I didn't know my uncle that well at the time. So, you know, why would I come up with that? But it was just anything completely different from what I was actually living. Um, So I would just create a reality and then just live it and be sort of a different person and just about aware enough to vaguely keep myself safe uh, but as I say you know one of the occasions I was 13 I just went to London obviously anything could have happened um, when you're wandering around London as a 13 year old girl um, so yeah that was when I realised how dangerous it was really depressingly I wasn't given a lot of help um, by the NHS um, I really wish I had been given help um, when I was sent to psychiatrist, um, he treated me like a case study. He was fascinated with fugue states and sort of treated me like a test subject and wanted me mm-hmm. to sort of recollect everything I could remember and all the symptoms, and he didn't actually give me any help. So I realised that I would have to do this myself. Uh, my parents were sort of disengaged because they were so freaked out by what was going on and had a lot going on with my brothers as well with their own appointments. So they just kind of said, she's with a psychiatrist, that's that's our job done but actually it wasn't doing anything for me so I would just go on the internet you know and find things that other people had done to to ground themselves when they were stressed uh I couldn't find people that had this uh condition because it's so rare and uh, you know 10 years ago there was even less you know on the internet and people weren't talking about it so much Um, So I would do very simple things. I would just kind of think, well, how am I feeling when I've got that extreme sense of panic? And it was the most like having a panic attack. And I would have a lot of those as well. Um, I would have social anxiety and panic attacks and generalised anxiety when I was in my teens. And I would just kind of go and sit in a toilet cubicle and just freak out. And I would think, well, how do I ground myself when that happens? Um, And there was a very simple technique, just breathe in for five, breathe out for five and just don't do anything, don't make any change to how you're feeling, just observe it, know that that's how you're feeling, and just sit with it for a while. And as difficult as that is, it's the best thing to do because letting go of that can lead to the condition happening. So as I got older and I went to uni, I would have situations, you know, I struggled a lot when I moved to uni because it was hundreds of miles away and I didn't know anybody and it's completely new and I the first night at uni I was just kind of sat in my room kind of feeling really alone and and just thinking I just want to run away uh, and just escape and I thought at that moment I thought well actually I can't I won't get picked up you know I won't get taken back to my parents and it was that real kind of fear that like actually there wouldn't be a happy ending if I just disappeared Uh, there wouldn't be anywhere for me to go and I realised that I I would have to sit with how I was feeling and work out how to just move past it. And I thought, I can make myself a different reality without having to go into a false one that's going to make everything worse. So I found a lot of solace by going to the Meditation Society and practising mindfulness. We'd all sit in a group and it would be incredibly simple. I'd always thought of meditation as, you know, sitting cross-legged and going Mm. on and, you know, that whole kind of image you get but it was just being there and sitting and being aware of everything around you 
and letting all the noise and the chaos soak in and just knowing that it's there and not having a particular reaction to it because I would always take something in and have a reaction to it. But once I learned to just sit with it and be at peace with it, then I would find peace within myself. So whenever I found that I had those feelings, especially last year, was perhaps one of the most difficult times for me because I lost my job, I was evicted, I lost all my money, and I basically had nothing, um, you know. And when, when you're homeless, you basically are given like this alternative life where you don't have anything and you sort of think, well, what the hell am I gonna do? Um, and you kind of have to sit in that and you have to sit in this reality that's the kind of, ironically, it's what would have happened to me if I had just stayed in an alternate reality, but that became my reality. And that was really, it really screwed me up a lot in my head and I just kind of sat with it and I just thought I have to face the music I have to hold on because no one's going to catch me if I fall in the past it had always been this kind of anchor of I'd get returned to my parents but at that point in my life last year I wasn't going to have that I would have just ended up dead you know so once that kind of cold reality sets in you just think I've got to just do this myself now Um, I don't have any tools but myself so I would use very very simple techniques I would just breathe I would make a plan I became very coldly rational and I would just think what am I going to do that's the solution to the situation that I'm in what can I actually do and I would just make lists you know I um I have elements of OCD in that I it's the organizing type I like to have everything very neatly organized um and even in my job now you know I spend more time organizing than actually doing it which you know my uh, supervisor gets annoyed by that a lot <laughs> Phil's always saying you know I actually write something um but yeah I sat there and I just planned and once I had a plan and I thought well you know, this is how it is now, but it won't always be like this. Uh, I felt more at peace. And another thing I did actually was I got my tattoos Mm. and I've got loads of tattoos and I've got them over the years and they keep me grounded. And a few times when I've had tough situations, I've just looked at my arm just as a kind of note to myself, like you can get through this. And, you know, mind over matter is something that really, uh, stuck with me because the matter is the situation that you're in and you're in control of your mind you can't always control your mind you can let thoughts get to you and escalate and then just detach yourself or you can rein them in and realize that they don't have to become reality you can get yourself out of the situation the other one that says this too shall pass and that's a stoic phrase and it's a reminder that nothing in life is uh, permanent and you know it depends how you look at it but I like to see it see it as a good thing you know it means that you know while while good things don't last forever it also means that nor does the bad stuff and as we always grow and change it means that nothing is going to be the same so you know if I was in a bad situation I think well it's not always going to be like this and I would just find a way to move forward. So in terms of kind of coping on your own how did you start finding out about Fugue State like when did you realize that's what was going on? Um, Well, it was really when the psychiatrist kind of uh, quite insistently labelled me with it. Um, And I did sort of, he he was kind of so obsessed with it that I thought, well, is he just trying trying to label me Mm -hmm. with it? Um, Because he just loves the condition so much from an academic perspective. Um, But then, you know, I would just sit and Google it and and look it up and look up the symptoms. um, And I would realise that, yeah, actually, that's very much like me. 
Um, why why did you go to the psychiatrist in the first place? Was it for those symptoms? Yeah, my parents were just panicking and just thinking, well, we've got to do something about this. Yeah. She can't keep running away. You know, it's, it's going to tear us apart. Um, so they just kind of dumped me in with the psychiatrist and, you know, said it was urgent. And then, you know, I, I got given this label and kind of left to look it up myself, yeah. um, which I think was maybe better in a way to kind of come to terms with it instead of, you know, this is who you are. Um, mm. I've never liked being, being given a label. Um, because I, I don't really like being labelled. I want to kind of give the label to myself. Um, so I just kind of ignored the psychiatrist and just kind of ran with what he was saying and gave it to myself afterwards. Mm. So Have you had any like other therapy or other treatment from professionals? Yeah, so I a big trigger for a lot of uh, my reactions to stuff like this was trauma. So uh, a lot of it was sexual trauma. So I would have kind of periods of like... Um, that was very specialised counselling that I'd have uh, and that was very helpful for me to kind of come to terms with what had happened and uh, not kind of have flashbacks and things like that. Uh, so that was helpful. When I was at uni, I had... It was a really good... Uh, I went to Exeter. They've got a really good wellbeing service there. So I had a counsellor and a mental health mentor. So the mentor would give me extensions on assignments and the counsellor would, you know, do the talking through things which was good that I had that twofold mm, approach really, really. yeah yeah so I would I would get um less anxiety because I knew I had more time to do stuff and yeah. actually I wouldn't actually need the extension after all because that was all I needed just that reassurance that I would have more time um so that would just stop everything in its tracks really with the whole spiraling thoughts uh, going on um but yeah most recently I've had you know a round of therapy as well um, and that's been going well um, I've had to pay for it privately uh, because there's not funding really in the NHS yeah. uh, which I know you've written about Ellen but uh, yeah uh, fortunately it's at a very discounted rate it's literally two thirds off what it would be and uh, you know she's she's been great um, and I find that therapy is very much about finding the right person for you and in the past I've just kind of disengaged with therapy sometimes because I didn't gel with the person yeah and then I would feel guilty and I would think, well, I don't want to say I don't I don't like them because they'll get offended. So I deal with it by just ghosting them in a way and just yeah. like stopping going like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. Um, but, you know, then I realized that they're not going to be insulted. Everyone's different. They need a different kind of person. Um, so, you know, my, my current most recent therapist is very, uh, very hands on. And I prefer that approach. Um, I don't I don't like sort of somebody just sitting there listening. So I'm like, we'll, we'll say something, mm -hmm. you know, um, so I like that she comes up with stuff and comes up with solutions because that's the way that I would deal with uh, my panicked feelings. I would have solutions um, and I would just need those nudges from her to kind of get me back on the right track. And that was very helpful for me. So is dealing with fugue kind of, for you, mostly about dealing with the anxiety and the stress that kind of triggers it? Yeah, it's, it's all about dealing with the underlying cause. Um, you know if I'd been offered it one of the uh, treatments would have been CBT and yeah. that would have helped with organizing the behavioral patterns um, but ultimately I just kind of found and carved my own way by just talking about it and then they would kind of do parts of CBT in the sessions yeah and that that would help me but mainly it was just a big thing for me was just learning to sit with how I was feeling and accepting it and then learning how how I was going to forge through that path and then you know get a better way forward for myself you said i think there's a big struggle with people not believing fugue state because it is so rare how have you dealt with that and have you had any kind of issues with people that are close to you not believing what's happening um 
Yeah, there would be a few members of my family who would just kind of be quite dismissive um, of, of a lot of mental health stuff, really, and just be like, oh, she's just acting out, just, just leave her to act out, you know, she'll, she'll get over herself eventually. And that's frustrating because, you know, with, with the whole concept of fugue state, with the fact that people wander, people just think, oh, she's just running away from home, she just wants someone to give her lots of attention. And it really wasn't that at all, you know, obviously, and you, you get the whole kind of lots of children run away and they go and hide under the bed because they want attention, but it really isn't like that um for me and you know i'd get like when it would happen like at school i'd have like a few episodes um that would mean that i would have a few days off afterwards to like recover and stuff they'd be like why are you off um and i I wouldn't be able to come up with a good explanation i would find that i would just kind of i'd end up just lying and just saying oh i had a cold you know because i wouldn't want them to be like well well, what's that what are you talking about like oh you get you so you you get to run away from home and then get time off like it's all right for some kind of thing maybe i should do it and it's like this isn't something to be joked about Mm -hmm. like it was very serious for me so i just used to just i was the girl who was just always ill um for a couple of years i was always had bronchitis and pneumonia and all all that kind of jazz because it was easier to do that to just lie easier to explain yeah yeah you mentioned sort of finding some answers and some kind of help online. Have you ever found anyone online who has also had fugue state or kind of experienced any of the things you've had or any sort of support in that way? Um, I have found, interestingly, that it's never somebody really talking directly about themselves. It's always a loved one talking about someone going through it. And it's often um, someone talking about their husband or wife that's going through it and they're just at a loss at what to do because when you're actually kind of going through it you're not really feeling distressed you're just kind of so out of it in general that you know you can't really talk about it you mentioned it was quite hard for um for your partner during a long-term relationship yeah um has that been a sort of a, a current sort of problem um for you sort of how's your mental health sort of affected relationships um quite a lot if I'm being honest and I've always ended up having relationships with people who also have like um an interesting past or they've also got some mental health conditions because that's the sort of person I'm attracted to because I find that I can't really connect with people otherwise and um you know my my long-term ex he he has ME um and um, he really struggles with his chronic fatigue um, and, you know, that, that was his life. Um, and, it, you know, since the age of 14, he had it and he's nearly 25 now, he's still got it. Um, so it was a very difficult relationship for us because we got together very young. I was 16, he was 17. So we kind of grew up together and, you know, I was trying to support him with um, his muscle wastage and his pain and his tiredness. And at the same time... Um, at its worst for me I would just walk out of the house um, when I was staying at his and just wander down the street one situation that I particularly remember is you know it's just the evening I was just watching TV and um, I just felt really kind of uncomfortable all of a sudden and you know I had all these paranoid thoughts and I thought you know everyone had left the room and I was like oh well nobody would care if I just left you know I was just really depressed as well and I just walked out in my dressing gown barefoot down the street and I remember he was just chasing me down the street, like, what are you doing? What's going on? And that's the last thing I really remember. And when I kind of came round, I was um, sat up in his room and he was like, are you OK? Um, what's going on for you? And then I finally kind of came to it and he was like, you do realise you were calling me a different name and you thought you were a different person, right? And I was like, no. And that's when he kind of realised, because I think for a long time he'd thought, that I was just running away from home 
but when he actually saw that it really shook him and he got really scared by it and he was completely honest with me and he said um, I've got to go towards my mum for a bit because he was living with his mum obviously and he, he just kind of said I don't know what to do and you know because there was a lot of love though and you know I am gonna obviously like I want to support you through this but it's just really difficult for me because there's just so much going on and you know we stayed together for a long time and we only really broke up because we drifted apart really you know we live in opposite ends of the country now um but it does take a big toll on on relationships because it's such such a an extreme thing physically for someone to actually disappear and call you a different name and become someone else it's really freaks people out and that's why so many loved ones will go on the internet and say I'm really freaked out because for the person as I say it's just you know they don't realise it <laughs> well we've got we've got really serious yeah, so exactly. like I mean <laughs> it's all very serious yeah but I think it's a it's a serious issue no it is actually but um but this is a lighthearted take on yes. mental health um has anything that you can now look back on sort of seemed funny or is it, um, is it is it still too soon? I mean, maybe that instant when I was wandering down the street in a dressing gown, he was saying it was kind of funny how I was like running down the street. Like he just said it looked ridiculous. Um, so he kind of mixed in that kind of fear with like actually laughing at how silly it, it did mm. look. Was it a nice dressing gown? I was just about to it was. That. It was a decent dressing gown. It was, um, you know, really big and really fluffy and I was quite mm. warm. And, you know, you make a joke after you're like, well, at least you were warm and you're doing it. And, yeah. you know, if, you, if you'd gone and sat in the field again, at least you wouldn't have frozen to death. Okay. And, you know, you know at least it wasn't something embarrassing like bunny yeah. slippers or like. Yeah. I don't know, a t-shirt with your mum's face on it or something. Yeah. Um, it's something that I've just kind of realised and just kind of accepted about myself. You know, it's, it's, it's more about acceptance with this condition because it is quite full on, I guess. Um, just kind of saying, well, you know, it's, it's OK. Like, it's, it's unusual and it's strange. But, you know, that's just how I dealt with anxiety at the time. You know, it's an unusual way, but, you know, everyone's different. Have you ever come out of a few states in a really random place? Because hmm. um, I can imagine that being quite funny, but, like... Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when I uh, went to London, I just wandered around. Um, I kind of came to, like, in a park, and it was pour- pouring down with rain, and I thought, you know, oh God, I'm absolutely soaked. Like, my mum's going to be so mad at me, and then that's when I kind of realised, oh, I'd better go home to my mum now, and she can go tell me off kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, that was that was kind of funny. Um but yeah I've come to you know lots of weird places you know um, toilet cubicles and on the floor and you know railway stations and all sorts of places you know thankfully it's always been somewhere safe you know but yes quite disorienting If you've suffered from any of the issues that came up today with Emmy, have a look at the Samaritans. Visit samaritans.org or call them for free on 116123. If you've not done so already, please subscribe to Mentally Yours on iTunes. Thanks so much to our guest Emmy Groom and the guys at Bills. Our producer is Sam Bonham with music from Lucy Baker. Next week? Oh, next week is good. It's called Beginner's Guide to Losing Your Mind. It came out in February in the UK and 
May in the US. Um, and it's basically like a practical guide to mental health for young people. So it's a mixture of tips, advice and practical stuff, kind of scripts that you can take to the doctor, etc. And then weaved in is some of my own personal experiences. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.